Good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. I'm your host, James, reporting live from Cloud9 after my Gunners' victory over Manchester City. We won't get into that quite yet, but that's always going to be the first line. We've got a packed slate for, of other footballing drama to dive in today, including two exciting draws near the top of the t- table, like Liverpool's visit to Brighton and Newcastle's clash at Aston Villa, both of which left fans on the edge of their seats with two ties. And of course, the late drama that may have saved Eric Ten Hag's job and the city of Manchester from a mass hunger strike as Scott McTominay's heroic brace delivered a desperately needed three points for Manchester United. Be prepared for that and much more as we delve deep into the EPL state of mind. Well, welcome back, boys. And Kyle, thank you for taking so much of your personal time to make sure that you were present for this evening's podcast. I know you were bouncing back and forth between work, new job, being too drunk to do it, crying to do this. But thank you so much for being here today. Sean, you look handsome as always. How are we feeling, boys? We're here. Yeah, you forgot to mention the tears that were also preventing Kyle from recording. But Yes, I have a jar of those at home still in <laughs> for the next game. No, nah, at this point, the tears would just be straight Guinness. I mean, it's been a long week. <laughs> but Kyle, congratulations. You did have a little... Uh, uh, personal matters to attend to a new job signing. So congratulations. Uh, yes. Very happy for you, everyone at the podcast. Thank so congrats. You, thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. You know, it made the uh, Man City and Giants losses this weekend a little bearable. So we can go <laughs> there. Good. That's uh, a little EPL say of my personal hot news. But as always, we have some hot news from across the pond. And that is one I think everyone can kind of hold near and dear a star of the English Premier League, specifically in the blue, a London team under Chelsea, is the retirement of Eden Hazard at the age of 32. So if you aren't aware already, Eden played for since 2012 to 2019, I believe, with Chelsea. And then he had his retirement team as Real Madrid, which unfortunately the last three seasons, three and a quarter seasons, he had a turbulent time with injuries, but still was one of the most exciting players to watch in the Premier League history. So Sean, I know since you had a great post or a poll on the podcast Instagram today of Mo Salah versus Eden, this is always one. Why don't we, we hand it over to you? You talk about Eden. Everyone like yourself respects him. And he was just a, he was a great character, a great player at Chelsea. Take us a little bit through his time and and the hot news that we have here today. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you talk about Eden Hazard, you're talking about one of the best entertainers, pure footballing entertainers that the Premier League's seen, certainly in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, such a great dribbler of the ball, you know, playing on the, on the right wing and then sometimes through the middle for Chelsea. Um, he also dominated at Lille previous to his time at Chelsea. Um, but... I mean, one of four players ever to have a 15-goal, 15-assist season in the Premier League behind uh, Thierry Henry, Eric Cantona, and Matt Letizier. I mean, if you're a longtime viewer of the Premier League, those are some pretty legendary names. He won two Premier League titles, and then he also was PFA Player of the Year in 2014-15, which is the season that he had the 15 goals and 15 assists. Um, Yeah, I I think you touched on most, most of the points. Uh, tremendous talent, but unfortunately, either due to uh, a little bit of unluckiness with injury and also probably a bit, a bit of a lack of work ethic, um, his prime just didn't last as long as as it should have. Um, and 
you know, he's retiring at 32 to spend time with his family. So we wish him all the best. Uh, I do think, uh, and, and I appreciate all of our listeners for voting on the poll. They also show that they are people of culture because I surprisingly am on the side of Mo Salah and the Salah versus Hazard <laughs> debate, but still one of the best players to ever grace the Premier League. So a lot of respect for, for Hazard and, uh, you know, wish him well in retirement. Absolutely. When, when you're talking about such an entertaining player and such a talent, you always look at transfer values. And just for the viewers out there, because we've been throwing out values of players in today's market, back in 2012, 2019, obviously was a few years ago, you know, he came to Chelsea for 35 million euros. He left Chelsea for 115 million euros to, uh, bar, uh, to Real Madrid. And his market value at the 2019 time was around 150 mil. So in today's market, you can imagine that would be floating right around there, possibly a little bit more at his prime there. So really great to see it. He was part of the same transfer class as Antoine Griezmann, the same age who is still killing it at Atletico Madrid. Something to note, you said the age before. So like you said, I think his worth ethic possibly plagued him a bit like the injury bug. Um, I'll say demon rather, injury demon. During his three and a quarter years at Real Madrid, he was injured for a total of 537 days and missed 95 games for club and country combined, which is scary numbers. Luckily for Chelsea, that was all afterwards. Unfortunately for Eden Hazard, that is probably what ended his career. But great player. Uh, Like you said, Sean, we wish, wish him the best. And it's never a bad time to spend time with your family. I mean, unbelievable player, though. Like, you know, for those who watched football back in 2014 era, like, how could you forget Eden Hazard? Eden Hazard, yeah. you know, uh, he's, in my opinion, he has a signature move. There's not many players that do. You, I'm looking at people like Ricardo Caresma, where he has the outside of the foot shot. You got Ariane Robin, who has the cut in from the right side, Ben went into the far post. You know it's coming. There's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, you think of people like Hazard, and it's how many times did we watch him just 1v3 the defense? With his yeah. feet, just dribble through him. I mean, I can think of two plays on the top of my head right now that are ingrained in my memory from him out dribbling three to five defenders and finishing with class. Like, yeah. that's that's what you remember him for. So, yeah, I mean, to Sean's point, I think if, if you know, you're going to compare Hazard versus Salah, Salah takes the cake. It's, it's a no-brainer there. I mean, this dude has been performing for, what, six to eight years in the Premier League at the highest level, whereas any scoring goals, and Hazard's just known as one of the best dribblers of all time. But you look at each position that they played, who would you want more? It's a no-brainer. It's Salah. He's clinical at the striker finish. But it's tough to see him go. This is a sad one. Well, you definitely left a smile on Sean's face for that one. So that's good to see. These great talents also have a second home. You play for club and country. And the second part of hot news today is the UEFA confirming yesterday that the UK and Ireland will host the 2028 Euros. So Kyle, why don't you kind of take us through the, the process there, where they're playing, and then we'll, you know, talk about the uh, Turkey briefly. Well, we won't talk about it. We also want to just confirm that Turkey will joint host now. They were in the bid for the 2028 Euros, but instead they backed out, and they're now joint hosting with Italy in 2032. But let's get excited for 2028. Kyle, can you tell us where exactly these games are being held? What's going on, my friend? Absolutely. It's going to be everywhere. We have the UK and Ireland for 2028 Euros. We're looking at stadiums in Ireland. We're looking at Northwest Ireland in Belfast, Scotland, at Glasgow, looking at stadiums in Wales, like Cardiff City, and then normal Premier League, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the Etihad, Everton's new stadium, St. James's Park, Villa Park, Wembley. It's going to be an epic, epic 
battle of unbelievable stadiums. But I, I got a question for you guys where, mm-hmm. you know, like when you play the World Cup, the hosting country usually gets first game. That's how it goes. They play the day beforehand. They get everyone to watch. When we just watched the World Cup in 2022, they hosted it. They played first. Yeah. So with who's going to who's going to play first here if it's this is a new thing where it's being hosted in multiple countries is i that, got no fucking clue is that rule it's got to be the english just, i feel like yeah. it's going to be the english just because <laughs> you know they're the ego plus um and it, just a, a note on this the host countries are all going to have to play qualifiers usually when you're the host you just automatically get in they opted out of that um, they want to be able to, I guess, earn it and then also, you know, get prepared for it because if you're not playing in the qualifiers, then there's not a lot of opportunity to play games. Um, so obviously England's going to qualify and then the other four countries are, you know, it's up in the air whether Scotland probably should. Wales without Gareth Bale, it's hard to say. Ireland, unfortunately, as much as it pains me, just hasn't had it in recent years. It's a couple of young talents on the rise, but um, I would expect the opening game to be probably at Wembley and be England, and then the final be at Wembley as well. Yeah. Well, there is a saving grace for you, Sean. I did read that UEFA is holding two spots as backup spots for host countries that do not make it. So they are ex- they are holding two spots in case, like you said, Northern Ireland or Ireland don't make it through qualifications. In the case that three of the hosts do not make it, they will take the top two with the best records. So that's a little saving grace for Evan Ferguson, possibly, and some other young talents that we talk about uh, on the on the daily. So we're all looking forward to that. I think we'll be almost exciting as the last one we had. So obviously, we'll be glued to our seats on that. But one thing that you should be glued to your seats for is what's coming up oh, right fuck. now. This is what we all showed up for. This is why I get dressed in the morning. This is it. This is the Arsenal one Man City victory at Emirates Stadium. I will push this over to you, Sean, so then you can go to Kyle. And then for the sake of Patrick's health, I will keep mine to a minimum of 15 minutes. Thank you, Patrick, for the shout out earlier. <laughs> I'll do my best, but no promises. Oh, uh, yeah. So I'll be the arbiter here because I feel like otherwise we'll just have James ranting all day and Kyle be leaping into the Atlantic Ocean. But Kyle, uh, <sighs> first back-to-back loss for Man City in five years since December of 2018. What do you got to say for yourself, man? What's your takeaway on this game? Uh, I mean, today, yeah, well, I mean, it, it was a case of injuries and it was a case of being a fucking pussy on Pep's part. <laughs> you know, we saw the De Bruyne lack of in that game to tenfold there. I mean, we're talking about Holland's least amount of touches ever. You know what I mean? 20-something touches. He's not getting those passes. He's not being able to have that magical ball that it's, he's going to find because he has the pace and the positioning that the defender isn't going to see because, you know, we're missing Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne on the field. That's massive. That's a big one. Um I thought the game itself was unbelievably boring. Manchester City having four shots. Oh, my God. I was screaming at the television. I was fucking screaming. It was, I mean, why are you playing possession? It was apparent within 30 minutes that Man City was playing for the tie. And, I mean, they almost got it, which I guess would have been a victory, sort of. Not really at all. But, you know, you're, you're missing out on shots. You're missing out on possession. You're missing out on passes. You're missing everything the only thing that we should have beaten arsenal was with red cards and even we fucked that up you know it's crazy (laughs) but 
Yeah, it, it's a pretty, pretty tough loss. I'm happy for you, James. It's about time that the student becomes the master. Congratulations, Arteta. You outplayed Pep. That's how it is. So that's a huge, huge win. Ramifications will be big in the Premier League, considering what Man City has ahead of them. And it's not like those players are coming back tomorrow. So we're going to have to make this work somehow. I mean, the next seven games are all pretty much, at least five of them are against top 10 teams. And I'm, I'm leaving Chelsea out, even though I'm going to say they should be a top 10 team. They're just not performing to that level. So for, for sure. I'll yeah, leave just, it there. I'm sure I'll have more to say after James goes on his rant. <laughs> just quickly before we let James hop in and uh, then you can, everyone else can just step out of the room for you know, 20, <laughs> maybe 30 minutes. Um, you alluded to it there, but their next seven matches, Brighton at home, Manchester United away, Bournemouth at home, Chelsea away, Liverpool at home, Tottenham at home, Villa away. Uh, Rodri obviously is, was a big miss in this game and, and you know, it pushed Bernardo Silva out of position. It pushed, Rico Lewis into the 10 and we've only seen him at fullback really. So obviously things were a little bit discombobulated for, for Man City. Um, De Bruyne loss in this, in this game is huge as well. We know what he did against Arsenal last year, but um, I think obviously without, without Rodri w- was the a big loss, but I think De Bruyne really, because he made the difference in those games last year and he was missing um, in this game. But James, go to you, man, you know, basking in the glory here. 12 games, finally, the, the curse is snapped. So what do you have to say about your boys here? At last, I think the first word that comes to my mind, and, and this is what popped in my head after the end of the game, was just this game was, to me, justification. And obviously that it is a, granted, a, a Kevin De Bruyne-less team, a Rodri-less team. It just gives me a little bit more sense of security that Arsenal is on the right path. I will say right off the bat, that this is something to celebrate, but it's a prerequisite, right? This is not the win of the season. This is not the says all. We didn't win anything yet. We just won one game that we needed to win to give ourselves a shot at the title. This is not, okay, we did. This is not a trophy. It's nothing. This is a a huge W, a great confidence boost, and I don't want to belittle that at all. And I was ecstatic. The JMO shots were flowing. I was over at Finnegan's. (laughs) It was electric, and it was a blast. And, um, you know, I'm really happy for Mikel Arteta and the Gunners because, one, I think it justified the $1 million price tag on Rice. He's been having a very good season, and his presence in this game was really showed with with a great tackle that he had. But to be honest with you, the first 30 minutes of the game was dominated by City's intense high pressure. And I really thought that we were lucky not to concede a goal within those first 30 minutes because, to be honest with you, I thought we were going to lose. Within those first three minutes, I thought, you know, City has out-strategized us again, and it's just not going to happen today. But we were able to compose ourselves and honestly dominate the remainder of the game with possession and and strategy. And um, it was not, if you were not an Arsenal or a Man City fan, it was not an entertaining game to watch. But when you really get into the nitty-gritties of it and the, the tactical awareness that every position was played, knowing their roles, sticking to their roles, being really dedicated to the game plan, it was a masterclass, I believe, from the Gunners. And I think it's a massive step into the, into the, the right direction. So without going head over heels about this victory, I'm very excited that, one, we, we got a win over a team that it could easily beat us, and that's a major milestone in anyone's title run. 
So I think this is a massive step in that. I don't think it's anything that we're the champions because obviously we're not even the top of the table right now, which is a little bit bogus, but we, we have a lot of work to do and it's just happy that it's going down this way. And then collectively as a group, I think we can kind of just talk about the game. That's my, my two cents. And then we'll get into a little bit more of the specifics. I know Kyle, I think it's a good segue to talk about Kovacic's uh, tackle on Udegaard and then Rice, which was atrocious. Um, you know, Sean, what are you, what are your thoughts, my friend? Well, I just wanted to say I'm proud of you, man, because that that shows a lot of growth. Last year, you would have been <laughs> flying, flying from the ceiling, you know, proclaiming Arsenal as the greatest team on the planet, and, and they were going to win the next 15 league titles. So, very proud of you for <laughs> for tempering your your reaction there. Uh, but uh, yeah, just to me, I mean, the Kovacic one, the first one on Udegaard, that could have been a red. It absolutely could have been a red. Should have been. Yeah. Should have been. It's borderline. It's like a yellow and a half, if that's such a thing. The second one, though, is the most surefire definition of a yellow card that you could see. I mean, I guess Rice bails him out by not rolling around. Um, but that that one was ridiculous to me. And then Howard Webb, who's the PGMOL chief, was on Sky Sports yesterday. Yeah, and he I said, saw this. Oh well, Michael Oliver didn't want to ruin the game, and it's like. All right. Fuck and, and that I, shit. I, I love I, that. I agree. Hell yeah. Fuck, fuck yeah. No, that. hold on. Hold on. Did, did, uh, did, who was it? Was the Simon Hooper give a fuck yeah. about England the, or whatever about ruining the, the game was. last week in the Tottenham Liverpool game? No, he didn't. It's, it's a yellow card. He absolutely should have been off the pitch. There's no like if, and, or buts about it. First one is borderline red. So then you should be playing with, you know, not conservatively you shouldn't be diving in it's another one that just like it's a yellow card every day of the week if he didn't already have a yellow he should have been walking and yeah if it ruins the game so be it but uh, i mean i'm sorry you you have to referee the game appropriately to me that's that's a clear second yellow um but kyle i'm interested to to hear your thoughts on that one well i i didn't know that they said it was because he was just trying to keep the game interesting i mean that to me is is fuckery at its highest level. I mean, they, they do not come to the field to entertain fans. They come here to win. This is a business. I mean, I'm sure the fans won a good game, but hey, guess what? This was at the Emirates. You don't think they wanted to see their team play with 10? That would have made the game even more exciting for the fans. So, no, that's a joke. That's unacceptable. He should be hella penalized because him, him even saying that admits he knew it was wrong. He just wanted to keep right. the fans happy. That's unacceptable. Right. I absolutely yeah. agree that, I mean, the amount of red cards that we had seen in the last two weeks on such nonsense, Sean, I mean, I don't even want to bring up your Liverpool game, but like this was kind of them maybe saying like, wow, we've been giving out too many red cards lately. Let's be lenient. But yeah. now what I just heard is him saying the opposite. So that's, that's absolute garbage. I, um, I want to see, I want to see Michael Oliver's DraftKings bank statements and those yeah. of his closest <laughs> friends, because that is some bullshit right there. I mean, we're getting Ivan Tony, a guy from Syria's band for three years now on these betting allegations. Who's to say these refs aren't cooking the books a little bit, man? I mean, this is ridiculous. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's you just know, bullshit. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I would like to say <laughs> is, Ake, he missed a, a sitter of a chance in the fourth minute. At yeah. the time, I was not unhappy with him because I went, oh, you know what? He was in a phenomenal spot he shouldn't have been in. You know what I mean? Right. He's, he's, he's not a striker. It's just real unfortunate. He had a fine game after that, and then, you know, the own goal goes on off of him. So, yes, at the end of the day, he had the last touch on the ball that went into our net, and he should have had the last touch on the ball that went into your net. And he both yeah. of those are anti-city statements. Yeah. But yeah. I, I would like that, to say that he played a fine game. So 
that's all, fair. Is, all is forgiven on his end for sure. That's fair. I mean, it, it was a little bit of an understatement. It just got he got absolutely crushed in the face. It made me think of like that scene in the hangover. It's like in the face, in the face, just ate the ball. And then it went into the net. Talk, you, you talk about adding insult to injury. That's about as bad as it gets. Yeah. I mean, he's still got the laces mark, bro. He's still got the laces mark on his face. I mean, how that many, how many like gifts were made to that or like little memes oh. or stuff like that? It's been brutal. Yeah. And and while we're on the subject of the goal, I just wanted to mention it because you made a note here. The triple substitution by Arteta in the 75th minute, it did change the game. Um, he brought on Partey, Tamiyasu, and Havertz, and all three pay, played a role in the winner. Uh, Partey's long ball to Tamiyasu, who for some reason Dime. was higher up the pitch than anybody else on Arsenal, which is kind of crazy for a fullback. Um, he knocks it down to Havertz. Havertz leads it off for Martinelli to smash it directly into Ake's face and then ricocheting <laughs> into the net. Um, so, you know, credit there to, to Arteta. He got it right. He got it right all yeah, across the board on this one. Yeah, um, he, he hasn't gotten it right a lot against City, but he's got to experiment. And I love it because when you look at Arsenal is developing into, I don't want to say it, but when the best team in the world is Man City, why not try to replicate that? And he's becoming a little bit of a Man City-esque team with a little bit more unpredictability and not coming out with the same strategy every game, every starting lineup, every every single substitution is a little bit less predictable. But, you know, like you said, Sean, first of all, Martinelli was a substitute at halftime. Literally right. all four subs were the winners of this game. I, you could you could pick through a few players for, for man of the match, but a lot of these guys, especially off the bench, showed up. Let me uh, let me ask you this. I, I mean, the second I heard the final whistle of that game, I slammed my laptop so hard I thought I broke it. But yeah, I took a shot did, at Tamo. Um, Is that what you're gonna ask? No, did Arteta and Pep have a nice nice exchange after the game? They kissed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. A lot of rolling. A Classic lot of rolling. Spaniards. Yeah. But it looked a little bit more French if you asked me. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I just I guess the last thing before we move on, I guess I, I have to hold the L because uh, I said that William Saliba is not the best center back in the world when you were you and I were talking about this about two weeks ago. Shit, man. I mean, I think he just emptied a, a big old Norwegian out of his pockets on Monday. So yeah, bro, he still might be high there. there. Yeah, it's it's Let's crazy. Let's Harry Maguire. Come on. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll 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 get to his redemption in a minute. But yeah, I mean, like Saliba, and and it's really hard for me when you mention Saliba. It's very hard not to talk about Gabriel because that is a dynamic duo in the back that really feed off each other. Obviously, I think Saliba. Is, is the star in the future of the, the, the pairing back there. But it really is a nice thing to see our two center backs really forming a, a rock-solid uh, relationship back there after struggling with center backs for so long. And, you know, especially since Saliba came in as not knowing his place in the team, being on loan for three seasons, this is incredible. It's an incredible feeling. I think he's really at home, which is great. You know, he kept Holland to 24 touches over the course of 90 minutes, which was the lowest of any player on the pitch for 90 minutes and only six in the final third, which is insane with uh, again, for the second time in a row playing man city, including the, uh, the community shield to a 0.00 XG. So, I mean, he, he, he is either still in Saliba. Man city had zero XGs that game. No, no, no. no. Holland. Holland. Oh, I, was individually. Say, I, mean, I think it was like, Oh, point like six, five for Arsenal to 0.48 for city or something like that. Yeah. I mean, as we touched on before, this game was just a complete slog. If yeah. you love like positional football, then yeah, maybe this is the game for you. But certainly, from you know an attacking, free flowing standpoint, this game was not it. 
it was a chess game. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, it was sure. just if you were an Arsenal fan, you were on the edge of your seat the entire time because you just wanted to keep possession and show that we had the attacking prowess. And when you're playing against a team like City, the best way to make sure that City doesn't win is just try not to give the ball to City because that's what they do. You know, so yeah. I agree. It was a bit of a snooze if you were not um, rooting for a specific team in there. I would also like to throw out this this rather hot take because I feel like I haven't had enough of him this year. In the next three games, look for a Partey long shot goal. He's he's due. That's what he does. It, as long as he doesn't get hurt going to Ghana for some fucking reason, they're sending him on international break. We just got him back you guys, for half a game. Look for an outside the 18-yard box and look for it in the top right corner. That's where he goes. Yeah, I mean they got they they have a little bit of an easier seven game stretch than than City do, so I'm I'm looking forward to that first game back is as a London derby, so I'm looking forward to that with my brother Christian. So we'll we'll see what we got going on there. But on the opposite side of the spectrum, unless are we are we done with Arsenal? I am officially relinquishing. No, no, let's keep talking about it. here. No, okay. Really, I mean, like, really. I mean, it's Kyle's having so much fun. He's really to. enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you guys could see his face right now. Just. How many how many beers deep are you, Kyle? Do you you have one before, one during right now? Or I'm I'm mid second Guinness right now. Yeah, perfect. I'm I'm I took one out of your your page book. I'm doing a course. So if we had a, like a tally of sponsors that should be sponsoring us that aren't sponsoring us, it could be Coors and Guinness right now. So that's it's 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 phenomenal over here. But that's on a tangent. One of the exciting games that we actually did have the pleasure of watching that ruined my three for three. Uh, bet streak this weekend was Manchester United 2, Brentford 1 at Old Trafford. I had the Bees upsetting Manchester United this game. Manchester United for no other reason than the biggest substitute making the difference in this game was Scott McTominay. He came off the bench in the 87th minute and scored a pair of stoppage time goals to deliver Man U an improbable three points. A huge win for Man U, who had lost four of their last six matches entering this game and fell behind in the 26th minute to the Bees. Um, it was a huge opportunity for Manchester United to begin gaining ground on the rest of the table as after the international break for their next five games are relatively easy. You have Sheffield United away. Um, this one's difficult, obviously, Man City home. But then you have Fulham away, Luton home, and Everton away. You know, the win right before the international break serves great purpose and could not come as a better time and should give 10 hogs injured members a chance to catch up and maybe just maybe give the ex Ajax manager a chance to get his best starting 11 out there on the pitch before the winter break. Um, Sean, what did, what did you think about this game before I get, I have a player that I want to kind of highlight. I know Kyle, you want to kind of highlight a player as well, but just overall, I mean, it was a pretty entertaining game. I think Manchester United really took it to the bees and the bees had a lot of defensive prowess. Um, but what was your, what was your thoughts? No, I think that's a very fair, uh, summary of the game for sure. Uh, you know, obviously when Brentford went up early, I think it was in like the 25th minute, uh, with Matthias Jensen, you knew they were going to be compact and, and tough to break down. Um, that's just kind of how they play generally to begin with. Um, and, and they've always given the top teams problems. I mean, they beat Liverpool last year. I think they took points. They beat, beat Arsenal, if I'm not mistaken. And they took points off city as well. Yeah. They so, tied us, but that was the one with the asterisk. That was the offsides. Okay. It, there's no asterisk. There's still three points or two a point for, <laughs> one point two for Arsenal and one, yeah. one point in the column for Brentford. But yeah, I think, I mean, overall, um, is a pretty good performance for United. And, and obviously, you know, just there's a lot of desperation in, late in that game and, and eventually it panned out for him. Yeah. 
Uh, so before I pass over you, Kyle, because you ha- you're talking about a center back, I do want to give Brentford a quick shout out, obviously, for the, one of the best defensive showings I've seen them do all season um, until the stoppage time madness. Um, if Scott Matamine didn't put in a, a brace and, and win the game, I would say center back Ethan Pinnock would have gotten man of the match for me. I mean, he had three key major blocks in the game, 17 clearances. Eight headed clearances. A lot of them came from corners. He was a beast in the back off of corners, and he won 100% of his aerial duels. Um, He was everywhere. Uh, I think we've mentioned him in the preseason look ahead with him and um, I believe it's Collins now from Wolves last season. Those two giant bodies are a great center back pairing too. But Kyle, who's your center back of the game, my friend? I mean, it's Harry Maguire. There's not a doubt in my mind. He played. He should have won man of the match. I I haven't seen a performance like <laughs> no! that. No, the no? guy scored right. two goals. Right, he right, played right, ten minutes. Right. Harry, two Harry goals. did give an right. assist. Harry did give here, him an assist for line. one of the Harry goals. Maguire, that game had 100% of aerial duels won, 90% pass accuracy with 56 out of 62 passes completed and 10 out of 12 long passes completed, 68 successful touches, two out of two interceptions, one assist and one missed tackle, and he assisted the game winner. That's damn good. That's a hell of a performance. And you know what? It, the <laughs> fact that it was Harry Maguire makes it twice as good because he's shit. You know, like, that's, <laughs> that's fire. But yeah, you build him up just to knock him down. Listen, at the here's end here's there, the Kyle. big Come thing on, I saw. This was the biggest note I had on the game was Eric Ten Hag when Scott McTominay scored in the 97th minute. They showed him smiling. That's it. He fucking smiled, turned around, and walked back to his assistant coaches. What that tells me is that that game winner did not make him ecstatic and happy. It made him feel relief. Like, oh, thank God. Like, you know, if that's the position you're in, that's trouble. You should be jumping for joy. You should be joining your team in the corner near the flag. You should be going crazy. You just won it at home with two stoppage time goals. If you're not celebrating, then when are you going to celebrate? So that tells me everything I got to know about that organization right now. They need some help. They need morale. They need Kyle Walker in the locker room. They need something like that to change things. Because, I mean, there's a lot of turmoil. Yeah, that gets a lot of those guys excited. I mean, you know, teach their own. But (laughs) (laughs) listen, Harry Maguire and Ten Hag, those were my two biggest points on that game. Maguire was great. Ten Hag showed – he showed what a manager should not show after something like that. What you, what you got, shot? Good good point, Kyle. I love the like I said, build Maguire up just to knock him down. But what what you got, Sean? I just I just wanted to make mention of this. Scott McTominay scored two goals in ten minutes. He got subbed on the eighty seventh. He had only scored two goals in his last sixty two Premier League appearances. So, uh, it's pre- pretty wild stat there. And and then, um, I mean, I think it's a huge momentum opportunity, you know, opportunity to build momentum for Manchester United. Um, you alluded to it on the sheet here. They have a lot of guys out via injury that they should be getting back, uh, particularly at center back, uh, you know, within the next couple of weeks. And, Shaw should come back too. Yep, and Shaw as well, which is going to be huge for them. So they stop playing your boy Amrabat out of position at left back. I believe um, it's pronounced Amrabat, right? That's what it is. <laughs> but, but their next five games, there's a lot of winnable – there's a lot of opportunity for points there. You have Sheffield United away. Manchester City at home, obviously, listen, City's a great team. They'll probably recover by then. But it's still at Old Trafford. They beat them there last year. They have an opportunity to do it again. And then Fulham away, Luton at home, and Everton away. There's 
no reason they shouldn't get 12 points at least out of that out of that stretch. And if they get 12, then yeah, they're back in the top four picture. And if they don't, then you know we'll be having this this discussion a, a couple of months from now whether or not yeah you know, about about Ten Hogs job security. If yeah. you guys want to feel better about your team or just anything in general, go watch the highlights from Luton Town versus the Spurs this weekend. I mean, they lost yeah. to a ten men Spurs. They had they they looked like watching Richmond United play in season one of Ted Lasso. They were just <laughs> kicking and following. It was there was never there was never a chance for them scoring that game. One of the worst performances yeah. I've seen in the Premier League in years. Yeah, I mean they do a Luton Town. We're getting off a tangent here, but Luton Town they do a, a as Sean likes to call it hoof and kick, I believe, down the pitch, and they just could not finish in front of the net, but. Yeah, maybe that will help Man City. Man, you feel a little better. They do have them in that five-game stretch, I believe we both mentioned. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But if you guys don't have anything else to say, I think it, we can pass the baton back over to Sean for the Liverpool game, which was also as equally exciting. You know, we saw a lot of, I think, a couple breakout performances from a few players, some very disappointing misses of open netters. But, Sean, why don't you take it away and, and, and bring us through this roller coaster of an event? Sure, very back and forth, even game. Actually, the first time during Roberto De Zerbi's two-year tenure at Brighton that uh, a team outperformed them in terms of XG at home, uh, which Liverpool did in this match. Just a couple of missed opportunities in this game that that really stick out. Um, the big one, obviously, is after Liverpool goes up two-one, right, right on the uh, I think it's maybe two or three minutes into the second half. Graven Birch gets a ball from Sobislai and misses an open net, puts it in off the crossbar, and. Yeah. bounces out and um that one really stuck out i was like oh you got to take your chances i'm I, pretty, pretty much i have three people that i always talk to my brother patrick my buddy smitty and then my buddy krishna and i talk we talk liverpool every single week and we were all said the same thing like oh you got like that that one could haunt us um and yep. it ended up it ended up haunting him um sully march who a guy we talk about a lot usually as a right winger is playing left back in this game due to rotation um, obviously, Brighton played midweek against Marseille in the in the Europa League, so Estupinian was out, wasn't available, um, and Sully March threw himself on the fucking pitch, <laughs> didn't get called for a flop, and then ended up whipping it across t- to tie it. But um, I just want to take a little bit of credit, do a, a victory lap here, because I warned you people about Simon Adingra. I yep. warned you. Last year, on loan at Union Saint-Gerois, which is where Matoma was the previous year. He doubled him in goals contributions, ten versus or eleven versus twenty-two. He scores in this game his second Premier League goal of the season, and really just a great individual effort by him. Kind of a a, a little bit of a, a lackluster pass from Van Dyke. Adingris uh, snips in front of McAllister, nicks it off him, and then beats uh, Allison, who was out of position because basically in this game. Because of the pressing of both teams, the the goalie essentially became a, a third center back in build up um, yep. to either pull somebody, you know, towards them to find an open man, or just bit, literally carrying the ball out until somebody eventually pressed them to close them down. Um, but it, it backfired on this one, and and uh, you know Liverpool split the points. Um, I guess overall my takeaways, like I said, a little bit disappointing. This two game stretch, I think, was a chance for Liverpool to assert themselves as as title contenders. And they got one point out of the two games between Tottenham and, and Brighton. And listen, obviously, I mean, I went on a whole rant last week. Liverpool got jobbed, but at the same time, they, you know, they didn't do enough to win in, in either game. So 
Um, that part of it's really unfortunate. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Trent, who actually was phenomenal in this game um, defensively, which is, is something you don't say very often. Matoma skinned him alive last year in this fixture, and he marshaled him really, really well in this game. I think he attempted five take-ons uh, against Trent, and he only won one of them. Um, actually, once Trent went off is, is when Brighton really started to get a hold of the game again with uh, with Joe Gomez back at right back and Matoma started to, to look a little bit more dangerous and eventually they, they got the uh, the equalizer. But that's pretty much all I got on this one. Yeah, I mean, I'm a great shout out for Simone. I mean, he, he looked like Brighton's most dangerous player out there and was really quite impressive down that right side. And to me, this was an extremely... I mean, uh, for Liverpool, I would say, like you said, that that miss off the crossbar will come and haunt you possibly. But this is a, a needed saved point from Brighton, who upon the return of the international break goes to Man City to play them. So having two losses back to back of top teams would have definitely been a bit of a blow. Liverpool, I think, Sean, you're sitting nice and pretty. You're coming back home and you have a derby yourself. You're playing Everton at home so i think that's a nice little way to get back into it after the um <clears throat> after the international break provided you can you can show up like you have been but overall i think it was an entertaining game kyle did you want to mention anyone else or anything uh, yeah i just had a question for sean how good is elliot because he looked out of this world during that game his yeah his decision he did, he... His selflessness everything about him that's that's actually a really good shout um because the first goal is pretty much all created by him. He closes down the center back. I want to say it's Veltman. Maybe maybe it was Dunk. I can't remember off the top of my head. To, to cause a turnover. And both of Liverpool's goals were created by the press. Um, and then, you know, once once they do get the ball back, they break quickly. I think it's to Bozlai, to Nunez, and then plays it over to Elliott. And like you said, very unselfish. He lets it roll across him to Salah, who's in a better position and scores. Again, both unselfishness and awareness from a, a kid who's, I think, 19 or 20 years old. Really, really impressive. Um, yeah, I think 20. he's 20. So he's, I mean, he's got a bright future ahead of him if, you know, if he can just stay fit. Um, I, I think they're still trying to work out where his best role is in the team. I don't know if he has the pace to play out on the wing. I think he's probably better as a 10, but Liverpool doesn't necessarily have that in their system. But, yeah, I, I agree. I think he, he had a really good game in this one as well. Um, and then, obviously, I got to mention my boy, Mo. My boy. Yep. Bracing, bracing <laughs> my boy. this one, two, two quick goals. Uh, he moves into, I think it's 13th place all time in the Premier League, tied with Robin Van Persie. He's also got the most goal contributions in the league this year with nine, and he's created three more big chances than any other player in the Premier League this season. So just it another year, Mo Salah just being, just being a baller. He really is. He really is. Last year, I know we were talking about how he had a slow start or a return after AFCON. Um, so, I mean, he's looking phenomenal. Another team or duo that both are relatively looking well, one more so a surprise than the other. But another tied game this weekend, it's Newcastle 2, West Ham United 2 at the London Stadium. So West Ham went up relatively early with Thomas Tuchek uh, tapping, but Newcastle dominated the game from there on. Eventually, the Magpies broke through with Isaac scoring a brace himself, which I'm happy about. Had him in the Premier League fantasy squad this weekend, thank God, and uh, kind of delivered to lead Newcastle into a into a tie here. Um, a great pickup from West Ham over the summer uh, was Mohamed Kudus, 
from I believe he was from Ajax, right? He was an Ajax player. Yes. That's just probably why Ajax sucks so much because they just got rid of all their good players. And he really made the difference in the game. He scored his first Premier League goal with a great strike from the edge of the area to rescue a point for West Ham in the 89th minute. So I personally didn't watch the full extent on this game. I know, Sean, you, I think, watched most of it. What's your big takeaways here? I mean, Newcastle, Newcastle and um, West Ham, more so West Ham, surprising us with their placement of the table. But you have right now Newcastle sitting in eighth, one point behind West Ham United. So what what are your thoughts and and warm and fuzzies about these duos right here? Yeah, I I know. I, I think you took you took a lot of my talking points, you bastard. They were all your talking points. The <laughs> <laughs> um no, I I think overall it was it was a very entertaining match and um you know, even though Newcastle really controlled possession in this game, we know West Ham is so dangerous on the counter. Um they're more than happy to cede possession and 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 play play on the break. Um, you know, which benefited them. The first goal was was the same sort of thing. It was, um, I think, a turnover around the middle of the field, and then Emerson made a great move, dancing past Dan, or maybe it was Trippier, whoever the fullback was on his side, and then playing it in to check for a tap in, and then Kudus. I mean, the goal was was a stunner, beautiful, just outside of the box, hits it into the ground, and then just kind of one of those ones that just rips like yard trimming into the into the back of the net, and I think. There's more to come from Mohamed Kudus, I think, uh, eventually, whether it's either in a number 10 role for Paqueta and then Paqueta goes to the wing, or if he goes to more playing up top more um, and Antonio's out, I think Kudus is, is going to be the main man at West Ham before the end of the season. Yeah, he just offers a lot of a lot of versatility and depth that West Ham, for a large portion why they played or finished poorly in the league table was because of their injuries in the center of that pitch. So yep. they did what they needed to do, brought in some more depth and the versatility of the players and impeccable. Ajax is a great team to have these players come from. So really great pickup there. West Ham, you return to play away at Villa Park against Aston Villa upon the return of the international break and Newcastle, you come in, that's going to be a great game. And then Newcastle, you play home at St. James Park versus Crystal Palace, which will be should be more of a Newcastle victory, but you never know with the Eagles. So, so great, who great lost show the there. In your, in your guys' opinion, I mean, they both drop points, but in in my opinion, West Ham United won. Like, they, yeah, they I mean, point yeah, off that I think so. Newcastle yeah. lost for sure. Yeah, whenever so. you whenever you get a late equalizer like that against a team that's you know obviously was top four in the table last year, it does feel you know a bit like a victory. But you know they've been they've been a really good team this year, West Ham. You got to give them credit. So their expectations are certainly heightened versus you know what they showed last year. And I think you made a great point there, James. You know, the depth of the squad overall has improved a lot. And I think a, a big reason why they struggled last year is obviously, like you said, injuries, but also, you know, they were in the conference league. They ended up winning that. Um, and, and they just didn't have the depth to compete on two fronts to focus both on on the conference league and then also, you know, be competitive in the Prem. There was there was talk of, of them being relegated and playing in the Europa League, depending <laughs> on, you know, the way things worked out. But yeah. they, they pulled it together, and I think, you know, you you, you touched on it. And I think you called it greatly in, in the season preview. They had probably the best and most productive summer of any team in the league. Yeah. You know, and I, I would not be shocked that their spending is not finished in January. And they're only going to bring in more reinforcements because of their current location in the table. I think primarily their focus at this point will probably be winning the Europa League if I'm them. I think it will be very difficult to get into the top four if you're West Ham, but I think it's very possible to put up a great run 
in the uh, Europa League, which buys you a spot in the Champions League. So I think having your eyes set in the winter transfer window for backup for rotational play would be a, would be a smart move by West Ham. But obviously, coming from a Gooner, I'd be interested to see what West Ham fans feel like. And we'll, we'll pop into the next section now because we put a poll out there. But um, I think we're good to, to put on that new kind of entertaining music that we kind of switched up in the in the in the the tween music so why don't we hit that that tune and we'll be right right back with our kind of epl podcast wrap-up Fun new segment for everyone here. Uh, Kyle was pretty jived up on all the other games except for the Man City Arsenal game. So he dived into the goals of the week. And we're going to call this one Kyle Mansley Hot King Mount Rushmore Goals of the Week. So Kyle, I know you were excited about there were some stunners out there. So let's have what what your best feelings are. So yeah, there were some unbelievable goals this week for everything from long shots to just suave cool like it was it was awesome so i'm gonna start off with isak i thought he had or isaac whatever on newcastle i thought he had the coldest coolest goal of the week if you guys saw his second goal that's the closest you're gonna see to a no look pass in football or a, you know just uh he wasn't even looking down he just let that thing carome off of his foot right into the side net and you just knew it, it was as mm-hmm. cool calm and collected a goal as you will see all year definitely check it out if you haven't um, going into the actual sick goals, number one is Tom Kearney for Fulham. Guys, do yourself a favor. Look up the Fulham United highlights. This goal will be a contender for goal of the year. He is slipping, falling down backwards from 26, 28 yards away. Hits a ball that, I mean, it, it went twice the height of the net. Twice. And dipped in unbelievable speed. It was a bar down. Goalie didn't even think it was he was going to have to make a save. And that ball went in the net. Unbelievable. Um, on another note, we have Harrison for Everton. Scored the second goal for them. It was a 3-0 win at Goodison Park, their first win of the season. I mean, that that stadium was electric. If I could have been in England for one game that weekend, it would have been Goodison Park. There's no other place to be this weekend. I mean, maybe, I'm sure, James, you would say the Emirates. Why not? But, like... God damn, they went wild. That goal was a met it on the half volley. Ball never dipped. Ball never rose. He hit that thing right off the bottom of the crossbar. Unreal. And then just the third one, I'll shout out Brune Larson for Burnley. He answered. That was it. They let up a goal. He scored while they were still showing the replay. And it was a firecracker. Left foot outside the box. An Aryan Robin curler coming in from the right into the top left corner. And... I mean, watch the highlights. The camera angle couldn't have been better. It's orga- it, it's, or- it's orgasmic. I, I got to say it. It was right <laughs> behind him. You see the curve. You see the goalie fail the second he jumps. You just know he's not touching that. It, it was fire. And it was a real big, you could hear the air leaving the balloon for the other team. Like Burnley, they just answered, period. You're done. Don't try. Was that, that wasn't Burnley. Was, Who was uh, that? Yeah, it was Burnley Luton. Yeah, Burnley Luton. Yeah. 
Luton finally Wasn't scores, the and then while while yeah, Luton is celebrating, Tuesday. they're down two. It was on Tuesday. I'm sorry, yeah. that's right. It was Tuesday because I'm like I'm pretty sure they got smacked by Chelsea. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, that was did. Tuesday. But yeah, and, I mean, it was a they were down one nothing. Luton answered yeah. while they're celebrating. Burnley takes the lead back. Just, just shoved it down their throat. It was brutal. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, those are the goals of the week. I would say, you know, if you like cool, if you like calm goals, check out Isaks. It's fire. If you like just stunners, look up Tom Kearney for Fulham. Best goal of the week. Best goal probably of the month. You'll see it as a contender for goal this season, in my opinion. The Mount Rushmore of goals from Kyle Mansley. Well, that's that's phenomenal. I'll definitely do do myself a favor, watch those again. But I want to say thank you to Sean, everyone who participated in the poll today. Sean. You had a great poll out there, bro. What are we doing next week? Yeah, so we we put one out there. We said, who do you want to spotlight and do a spotlight episode for next week? And unfortunately, Manchester United has pulled away in that poll. They're at 52% of the voters. So we will have a Manchester United guest on. I'm sure some of you Man United fans are tired of hearing the three of us shit on you guys. You'll have someone to defend you. And, you know, we'll talk about you next week. Um, but we are open to change. So if, if you listen to this episode, you didn't vote on the poll, slide into those DMs and say, oh, I want Wolves, or I want West Ham, or I want Everton. Uh, those are the other options that we presented just because we have friends who, who are fans of those teams. So if you're interested in any of those, you know, we might get to them at, at another point during the year. But, you know, any, any and all feedback is appreciated. But it looks like we'll be talking about the Red Devils next, next week. Yeah. Listen, I think we got a two week international break, so we might uh, we might throw a double spotlight out there for you until we have the much anticipated return into the EPL. Yeah, I'm sure but, James is going to find stuff that he missed while talking about the Arsenal City game. We'll have a whole segment cut out for it next week, guys. Just <laughs> get your wrap horns, get ready. I mean, my goodness, that went way too access. smoothly today. Way too smoothly. Yeah. Something to put. Not to not to bring it back up, but I hate some Arsenal fans. They overreact to massive losses and they overreact to massive wins. You got to keep your head on your shoulders, especially this early in the season, going up against the Goliath that is Man City. That's all I got to say. Can That's we leave it. the next thirty seconds silent so that Sean and I can find clips from you one year ago today to insert? Right. <laughs> in the oh come on, <laughs> come on now. Now we were in first place the entire season. Yeah, it, it, it was. Uh, I think that you do know if you look back in our podcast, when we lost the game from West Ham, I went from on top of the world to we're, we're fucked. That's it. That, that's <laughs> over. That was the moment. That was the defining moment for me. It wasn't the tie that we let up against Liverpool. It was the following, or I forget if it was the following week or the week before when we lost to West Ham. So, no, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I, this, I don't think it was a loss. Season, it was another tie. It was another tie. It's looking like we're actually going to have a title race this season with multiple teams. I'm, I'm multiple looking forward teams, to this one. Multiple teams. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Although we may be waiting for the return of the English Premier League, you will not be waiting for the return of the EPL State of Mind podcast. Thank you guys for listening today. Thank you for the participation in the poll and the comments and all of those comments regarding how little of time I should spend on Arsenal this week. Really like that one, too. And uh, we look forward to you guys listening to next week's podcast, the next week, the next week, and the next week. So again, give us that rating on Spotify or your platform of choice. And we look forward to talking more about soccer or football next week. Until then, have a good weekend.